Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I am the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that actually inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy at 40 Strategy. We help organizations create their strategic plans so they can help uh, organize what they're doing and actually achieve their dreams. Dusty, basically what we do is we do do this in particular strategic plan that's custom made to them and we measure the right KPIs for success. Unfortunately, companies and organizations only spend about 2% of their time collectively as an organization on strategy, which is only about 40 hours per year. I don't know about you, Dusty, but I think that's pretty crazy of how little we spend on strategy. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And and so at 40 Strategy, your success is our passion. That's why organizations call on us to help. Not only do we come up with strategy, but with proven practices that actually help them be more successful. Harvard research shows when you actually do focus on the right key performance indicators, you can triple your success and who wouldn't want that. So email us today at catch at 40strategy.com or simply go to our website at 40strategy.com. Before we talk about our guest here, Dusty Dean, I'd like to do a little shout out to uh, Acumen, one of my favorite organizations I like when we need some recruiting support and help with organizations and not only here in the Northwest region, but throughout the U.S. as well. Suzanne Hannafin is the founder and Karen Anderson have been wonderful for me of helping out some of my clients finding the right talent. They have over a 90% retention rate in a three-year period with people that think they really focus on getting the right people for your organization to help make a difference. So thank you to Suzanne and Karen. So with that, we're going to do our introduction to Dusty here. Dusty is the founder and CEO at BitCadet. Uh, BitCadet is focused on increasing manufacturing companies' sales and valuations by creating innovative digital sales channels. They design and ex- uh, create and executive execute growth program tailored to actually fit your industry and your specific needs. Dusty is also a senior board advisor at Versa2 Building Systems, which was the leading manufacturer, is the leading manufacturer of pre-engineered DIY steel building kits. And he was also the president there for two years. He's the founding uh, partner for CZ, a startup incubator, with a focus on the people side of the equation, which is really neat. Uh, he's also the president for Digital Market uh, Media in Memphis. He was also the uh, president. Sorry, he also president for Digital Market. I already mentioned that he's a has a bachelor's in poly science in English literature at the University of Tennessee at Martin. Uh, he also, and of course, I knew I was going to mess up this enunciation, and my one year of German is not going to help me out here, Dustin Dusty uh, at TU Braunschweig. 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 That, yep, you uh, got it. You got it. Almost the first got it time. there. Okay, and, and has a um, doubted yourself. <laughs> I did <laughs> a German language and history. Uh, he is a member of a crazy amount of organizations. If you actually check Dusty Dean out on LinkedIn, but uh, two of the ones he wanted us to mention is at the Oregon Entrepreneurs Network and the Portland City Club. And with that, Dusty, welcome to the Measure Success Podcast. Thank you, Carl. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this since uh, we first talked earlier this year. Absolutely. And thank you so much. You told me you get multiple requests for doing podcasts and that you were kind enough to select our uh, the Measure Success Podcast. I, I'm 
really appreciate you taking the time as I know you have a crazy busy schedule. So tell us a little bit more about BitCadet and, and how does it make a difference out there in the world? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 some quick history about me that can kind of lead up to BitCadet. I, I grew up in a manufacturing family like a lot of us do or did. Uh, looking in our community, my, my dad worked as an electrician for a, a big manufacturing operation. Uh, my brother worked at the local aluminum plant. Um, I didn't want to do any of that. Obviously, uh, you don't want to do what everybody else does. So you try to go in a different direction. So I, uh, I, ever since a young age, I've been really interested in uh, building computers and software development just as a hobby. Uh, I was one of those weird kids that tore stuff apart and tried to figure out how to put it back together. And then when I learned about software, you can actually program it to do stuff. Uh, so, uh, that was kind of my hobby as a kid. And then I, I, again, not wanting to do what my, my, my family, my, my whole extended family did, I wanted to go in a different direction. So I, I started to study pre-law and uh, political science, international relations with an intent to go to, to law school. But, uh, during that time I spent in Germany and, and meeting, uh, some great, great people there, I, I realized that, uh, probably best for me to try to figure out how to make a living doing what I enjoyed to do as a kid, which was uh, software development, building stuff, creating things that, that are complicated, but, but, but look so simple on the front end. And um, that kind of led me down the path of, uh, of working as a contractor, building whatever I could for ad agencies. Uh, Cause they, at the time were still very much, uh, let's say mid 2000s, they were still very much like digital. We will do radio spots, we'll do billboards, but digital, we don't feel comfortable doing. So I would come in and just by luck, uh, some of the first accounts were, were manufacturers. And uh, I got to work very closely with some excellent people. And that's when I realized that most manufacturers in the US have do a phenomenal job of uh, of uh, investing in innovation on the factory floor. But when you pass that threshold into the admin side, uh, a lot of the lean principles and a lot of the investments uh, in, in whether it be standardization or, or, or however you want to choose your flavor, they just kind of go out the window. It's quite messy. And uh, that's where I saw a huge opportunity. I, 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 was, I couldn't believe the uh, just following an order uh, from sales to engineering, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then finally, it would get approved and then go to production where it would be out the door almost immediately because production had their act together, but the admin didn't. And so it was at that time, I thought, I need to figure out a way to turn this into a business, not just do you know contract work, but how do I turn this into a business? And my first uh, version of BitCadet, I wanted it to be a self-serve kind of website website platform type builder, something like you might see today with the Squarespace or with uh, a Shopify, even though Shopify didn't exist. I don't know if Squarespace existed then either, uh, but I, I realized that uh, that was, it was too, too early to do something like that. I really needed to work closely uh, with uh, the executives and different manufacturing firms to figure out how can we how can we automate this this front end sales process? How can we eliminate the waste between engineering and sales? 
and allow customers to self-serve themselves. So I really started building BitCadet as a consulting operation uh, that, that did that. Uh, fast forward to today, and uh, we've uh, built this little team that's, uh, I call it like, your, like a digital SWAT team where we have designers, developers, and ad strategists who come into a manufacturing firm's operation with the goal of increasing sales uh, through uh, digital investment. So uh, increase in leads or increase in uh, e-commerce sales, either or or both. Oftentimes it's both because of the transformation journey that we go on. But I'm a firm believer that if you're going to use technology, it has to demonstrate value, uh, a significant value to the operations. And uh, we work a lot on performance space because I do, I'm a big believer that uh, technology can actually create cells and is measurable. Uh, I hope we can talk about that at some point. But uh, yeah, uh, so really uh, firms come and work with us today because they, they, they want to grow and they don't quite know the best way to do that, but they've heard and they've seen that some firms have had a lot of success online and they want to figure out how they can, they can do that. How can they deliver these superior uh, buying experiences for their customers online? Boy, I, uh, as, as you, you were talking there, there's like a 25 questions that, that I have and comments because I, I love it. First of all, how you, have found a way to get connected with your past. That, that's one of the things that you've mentioned multiple conversations we've had. You've talked about, you know, I, I grew up in this. I grew up uh, knowing about manufacturing. I had this innate joy of trying to build things, but you also had this software side, right? Which is not super common, right? To kind of like to build things and then the software side. And interestingly enough, there's a reason why manufacturers are arguably the worst when it comes to having a digital presence, because they're really, really good at building things. Um, and, and I, for those who don't know, I, I, I work with the Oregon Manufacturing Extension Partnership. So I get the opportunity to see so many different organizations and what they've done and hear about what they're happening. But a digital presence is lacking for so many of them and, and, and their sales channels. They, it's, Remember the movie Field of Dreams by Kevin Costner? It's kind of like if, the, if they, there's almost this feeling of if you build it, they will come. And that just unfortunately, the sad part is that couldn't be further from the truth. If you don't get out and, and see things and then you add on to it, I don't know, the 10x, 100x explosion now of online due to COVID, right? Due to the coronavirus, which is forcing people to be more online than ever before, having a digital presence could be more important than ever. So, how do you get that when you go onto somebody's website and there's barely a presence on there and, and there's probably even something you can't even put your name in to get connected right with it? How? And then there's Amazon where these same people are probably buying from Amazon on a daily basis, but they, can't, they don't connect that they should be having this for their own manufacturing website. How do you have those like preliminary dis discussions with them to become aware? Yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the things that's been very helpful for me is uh, I you know, I like to talk about it in terms of like your best performing salesperson. Like what are what are they bringing to your operation? And then I you know do they have you you have some kind of expectation of them, right? That they have they bring some leads or convert enough leads. Uh, you maybe monitor you know. There's, there's a sliding scale here of how complex you can get from their pipeline analysis to the lead conversion rate. But where, where are we with that? Is what I try to find out. I'm thinking, 
okay, that's really interesting. I, I now kind of have a baseline of where we are with, uh, with how you, you know, measure your, your best performing salesperson. And so now how can we take those same measurements and apply them to this investment that we're thinking about making into an online platform, digital strategy? You know, you, that's the other thing too, that's always frustrated me is everybody, there's, I, I grew up programming. I know a lot about technology and I hate jargon. So it's like online, digital, whatever you want to call it. How do we turn this, this magical code into something that can be measured like your best performing salesperson? Mm-hmm. And then I start to share some things with them. You know, it's like, yeah, we can. Okay, so leads are important to us. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's imagine a formula where we know how much it costs to get X lead. And then let's, uh, let's, let's model out how much, um, how, what percentage of those leads are going to convert. Uh, but, but with manufacturers, I always start, everybody's afraid to put anything out there. There's still this very conservative mindset that your competitor is going to stay on your website all day long, download your PDFs, uh, examine your pre- reverse engineer your operations. It's basically, nobody wants to say it, but they're fearful of that. And of course, it's so ridiculous because uh, uh, there, someone could be at work and their boss says, I need, uh, we need this piece of machinery and, uh, I need an answer on Monday. And so what does that poor person do on a Sunday evening? They get on the internet and they try to find it and whoever has the path of least resistance and gives them that information. It's so far along in the buying process that uh, the fear of putting your competitor information out there is irrelevant. But that's a little sidetrack there. I mean, ultimately it's like, how do we take the measurements that we apply to some of our best performing sales employees? and put those into a uh, digital asset. And we start there, and then we build a strategy on top of that that is an ongoing strategy. Oftentimes, it starts with leads, and then eventually we get to e-commerce because you know what? When you analyze an operation, a lot of the sales force spends a significant percentage of time on parts order that nobody particularly enjoys. Okay, what a great opportunity for self-serve. Uh, log in as your customer. Self-serve yourself on a, on a Saturday morning when you realize it broke. Uh, the plant manager is talking to the maintenance gentleman and they're like, okay, we got to figure this. We got to get a part ordered. Okay, well, let's just take care of it ourselves. And then that's kind of the gateway drug into more of a full self-serve experience. But with manufacturing, you have to work at, at their pace. And, and the pace is really about the pace of change and the pace of change management. Uh, because, you know, uh, yeah, not to get too much into manufacturing, but it the admin side can be very tribal, and um, for many times for good reason because when orders were slow, you know that particular group of employees were there for you, and uh, you know. But as you scale up operations and, and grow, unfortunately, uh, that tribalness has to be standardized and ultimately automated as much as possible. Um, I, I loved when you were talking through this, you, you mentioned this huge fear that's pretty much unfounded of the very beginning. Why isn't it in, out there in the first place? And it's because they're actually l- literally afraid that somebody's going to be able to copy their secret sauce and remake it and then therefore put it up uh, on, on, you know, and, and then therefore make it and take away their competition. and. That's one of the problems. Like we always think we can make anything, right? Any 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 engineer worth the salt, I could I could figure that out. I can do that, but that's not the point. The the the, the real 
opportunity is getting to somebody who didn't know you existed and they have a problem, an unmet need, and you can solve it. And, and there was a secondary part you mentioned, which is so huge, which is your, your valuable value-add salespeople. Instead of spending time on a part, right, that, that can take as much time as a perhaps a core system on ordering, they could focus it on their high value-added clients that are looking for the more customized solutions, create relationships with them. So they're more likely to buy, right? Because it's not uncommon, right, Dusty, that somebody's going to look at three to five websites and still get quotes from multiple people. Isn't that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so let's talk about a little bit of, of, of the traditional success that you end up seeing with your clients. Um, give, give me some metrics that you're typically measuring, helping them to measure. So they're like, why didn't I do this 10 years ago? <laughs> why did I do this five years ago? I didn't know this yesterday. What what are these things that are just like these bang typical metrics that that um, they get so happy to see? Yeah, I think one of the first thing is to, I want to dispel the idea that you just like you just you do a bunch of work for for months and then you turn it on and then there's success. It doesn't work that way. You start small, and uh, oftentimes, not always, but more often than not, it's typically a, a, a manufacturing firm who is thinking you know. We have distributor and maybe dealer sales, maybe mass merchant. We've also got a direct sell component. Haven't had a tremendous amount of success with it, but we haven't also invested a lot in it. Uh, how can we grow that? And of course, it's just a setting, you know, you know, level setting. I like to say, well, why do we want to grow it? Let's, let's, let's make sure we fully understand why. And of course, it's typically what well, we have better margins and we have more control. Um, and there's also some other ancillary benefits to that too. I may get to in a minute, but okay. So let's just say we're, our direct sales are now, you know, maybe two to 5% of our overall revenue. We'd like to increase that to a higher percentage, but we need to do this in a way that uh, is affordable for us because you know what? We're a manufacturing operation. We care about getting the product out the door, high quality, making our customers happy. We don't really have any understanding of how to do this uh, from a sales and marketing and admin transformation point of view. And, and that, that's obviously what my team and I have a lot of experience with and we help with that. But uh, you know, we, we look at how they're processing their customers' uh, their leads today, you know, typically it's a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of PDFs, a lot of emailing, a lot of back and forth. And, and we look at that from a time consumption point of view, like how long does that take? How do we take some of that and build this nice interactive form that's sharing information along the way for a customer online? Uh, and we, we start with that process, which ultimately ends up getting more leads. Okay. Uh, any firm can only handle a X amount increase in leads before there's problems. And so we start to discuss that early on. Okay, first quarter, second quarter, we're going to get X increase in leads. Can we handle that? Well, we only have one person in, 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 in-house sales. Okay, let's plan on getting another person. Let's, let's, let's grow it this way. And so we start to increase those leads by X amount in a, um, let's say in a quarter. And start to scale the internal team to support it. And often what happens at, at some point in this journey, it's usually around nine months, uh, the, the, the creation of the leads 
exceeds the capacity of even the extra two or three folks that were brought in. And then it's like, okay, we've got to rethink this model. How can we allow the customer to get 90% complete with the transaction or even 100% complete with the transaction themselves? So we start to take even what, what you know, everybody thinks that their product is incredibly unique and uh, hyper-customized and, and, and it's, you know, can't be made into some sort of configurable experience. Uh, I disagree with that. Uh, our success at Versatube, uh, the, the company you mentioned in my, my bio that I'm a former president of and uh, I, I, I work with, the, I advise the board there now. It's, uh, you know, we, we design custom buildings uh, to your local snow and wind loads. Uh, unlimited width, length, and height possible combinations. You know, so it's not it's not too complex. It's just a matter of the willingness in which we're going to take to do this. But the point is, is that we start to we start to bring some of these complex products into a configurable experience to take the pressure off of adding fifty new salespeople. And this also uh, meets and exceeds the customer expectation of that employee who, as I said on Friday evening, the boss said we got to have a solution next week. Uh, well, they were able to configure it, design it, get a price. They can even check out if they wanted to, and they take it on a Monday morning and they say, look, I've got the answer here. Here's the specs. Here's the price. Here's the lead time. Well, most other firms, their employee, Joey, will get back to you Monday afternoon. And, 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 and you know what? Then he's going to interrogate you about, you know, I, I don't want to be, I know what I want. Don't, don't ask me if I'm sure about it. So that's the point. It's a journey. Usually starts with lead generation. I mentioned parts earlier. Then we get to the configurable experience. Could take two years. Could take longer. Uh, the way that my company gets paid is performance-based. If we're not producing those leads, we're not producing those sales, we're not helping measure that along the way from, from whether it's the a traffic to your site, uh, what percentage of that traffic is converting, what percentage of the people who did convert uh, are actually turning into customers. Sometimes that can take a long time because some big companies are not necessarily big companies, but some firms have uh, you know sell cycles that can be uh, eight, nine months to a year. Uh, we start tracking that information, uh, and if we're not demonstrating our success, you know obviously everybody knows it. <laughs> we're the first people to uh, know. Uh, so you know it's a it's a it's a it's a, a huge part a huge part of this is change management along every step of the way. Uh, you can't just overwhelm. You can't oversell. You can't overwhelm. You have to set the right expectation every step of the journey. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that the change management part because the, you know, I, I could go in verse two and I'm like, I want that configurator today. And unfortunately, the 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 manifest the, the your your client doesn't understand all the different backend parts that happen. I was with a company and we were a very successful company and it took us 40 hours on a receipt of a purchase order to process it, to bring it out to the manufacturing floor, <laughs> like literally 40 total. Now it didn't actually take us 40 hours of time, but by the time we received it to we deliver, it was like 40 hours because it was a completely manual process back in our old day. That stuff's still happening today. I was working with a, a manufacturer, a successful manufacturer. And it takes them sometimes two to three weeks to get a quote out. Well, what they don't know is the amount of deals that they've lost because they haven't responded within two days or a day or two hours, right? You know, it, and 
And that's there, there's there's like the true ROI, what I'd call of which you could probably tell us it's three, four, five, ten X, you know, whatever the investment they have in you. But then there's also the unknown known losses. What we don't know, what we ended up losing, because now we could respond to things that we had no idea that we were losing in the first place. And that and that's the scary stuff. Like, like how big could we have been? If if we've done the right things now, Dusty, this is that this troubling part of we could probably turn this into a six hour conversation, but we don't have time for six hours. So I'm going to flip this now to you just recently were married. Congratulations. Um, of Thank course, I, I, I recall you said that um, you were supposed to get married last year. And then, of course, you couldn't because of restrictions. And and you now married you. You got you just had your honeymoon. Um, so. Now let's talk about your, your, your personal life a little bit. Um, you are involved in a ton. You know, I go to the, once again, a LinkedIn thing. You're like involved in 758 clubs. I'm just halfway joking there, but I mean, you're very, very active. You really believe in the community, um, and, and helping to give back. You also are helping out with, with startups and incubators. Tell me how you help yourself. How do you define success on a personal level? Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult question. Uh, one that I take very, very, you know, seriously. Um, I, I moved here from Memphis where I was serving as president of VersaTube and, um, I, I grew up, I grew up in a tiny farming community, 4,000 people in West Tennessee, but I was always, connected with people on the internet. I was a, kind of a geek and connected with people on the internet and, 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 and knew there was much more out there. And so I'd always kind of wanted to, you know, move out West and, and kind of start a serious effort to invest in, in my community and in my career as well. And I found as I've transitioned you know, I don't what I 2017 is when I when I moved to Portland. Uh, I, I found that when I when I moved out here, at first I was just working all the time, like I was previously. And I just kind of felt this emptiness that that I'm I'm I, I don't I'm really I can I can get a lot of calls, I can meet with a lot of people, I can do the Zoom before Zoom was the COVID, you know, poster child. And that's when I started to realize that my involvement with my community and my friends and my family is is what enriches me and makes me very very happy. And I know for a lot of people that like that sounds so simple, but for me you know, my, my dad, he worked all the time and he taught me that the way that you become successful in life is to work all the time and to put, you know, side jobs, extra jobs and, and everything else. And so that's how I started the first part of my career. And uh, then I, I realized that I was, that's not, that's not the answer. No, it's not just throwing yourself hundred percent into work all of the time. It's about building enriching relationships all around that. And sometimes, you know, sometimes they might turn into uh, work, but other times it, they won't. And, and, 
and that's okay. So I lately I've been measuring my success in how much effort I'm putting into non-work relationships. And, and sometimes in that gray area between someone I might work with, I don't know. We're not really in any kind of adjacent industry, but I don't really care because I value the way in which they approach their their career and their their work life their work life balance. Um, they have a little bit of humility. That's a, that's always a big deal for me. I, I I'm extremely discouraged if I meet someone who, you know, is spending a majority of the conversation talking about all the great things that they've been able to accomplish, mm-hmm. without any acknowledgement to the adversities or 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 just uh, luck that they that they've uh, you know had along the way. And uh, so, yeah, that's been that's been one of the big things I, I look at lately. And of course, this revelation, you know, came just prior to COVID and, and COVID, you know, was it's difficult. I'm missing being in a room full of people and walking around and talking to them and, and, and picking up on the interpersonal mannerisms and knowing how to respond to them. And. So first of all, thank you. I, I appreciate you sharing that piece. I think what's so fascinating is right. We can we can accomplish so many different things and still still feel this bit of emptiness, right? Of like what matters, you know. And and, and um, there were there there was a story I heard one time of of a very very successful businessman who he had passed away and at the they're getting ready the pastor do the eulogy and then the two sons show up and they talk to the pastor ahead of time. They're like, hold on a second. What are you planning to say? And of course he was planning to say all the things he was familiar with, right. That he had saw from the outside perspective. And the two sons, they went on to say, don't you dare talk about him in this way. Cause he was not a good husband. He was not a good father. He was not present. He didn't, you know, boom. And I don't know about you, but that's like the sum of all fears for me. You know, not, nothing would be more dangerous of, yes, I accomplished X, Y, and Z, but I was a stranger in my own home, right? And and home is a broad definition. That doesn't have to be your physical home. It could be what you consider your, your community home. It could be your global home, whatever that is. But if we aren't making a difference ultimately in other people's lives, and it can't be reciprocated in some way, there isn't true connection. Of course, this is different for each human, right? You know, depending on what our own personal strengths are, what matters. But I appreciate that you shared this this other element. And what's interesting is your own upbringing of working hard, right? And 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 that was driving you for the first part of your career. I was like, wait, wait, there's more. You know, there's more than just reciprocating what I thought my father told me to do, right? And and so you you easily accomplish that, but there's more, which is great. You know that you've been able to see that. So you are really involved and you do different things. What what do you do on a daily basis to keep energy? You know, is, is there something that you do to help keep you focused? And so you are still making sure not only you're doing all your work stuff, but you're staying connected with the community and you you still have the motivation to get up each day to do these things. How do, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah, great question. I just want to add to what you just previously said, it, just for the listeners out there. This this is an ongoing journey for me. I have not, I do not have it figured out. I don't want people to listen to this and say, "Wow, I, 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 I don't do anything. I'm not active at all." Like, well, look, it, I wasn't either until recently, so it's fine. You know, we're 
it's sometimes I listen to podcasts and people talk and I'm just like, this person's on another level than me. I am not. I just want people to know that I am, I am really working and trying to do this every day. And some days it's really hard and some days I don't, and some days I do. Uh, but what, what fuels me, I mean, for me, uh, not necessarily fuels me, but what, what part of my daily discipline, it, it's so much of the stuff that we hear about and we know about, you know, one thing for me is I absolutely don't compromise on sleep. Um, I, I, I fight very hard to make sure that I get enough sleep. And, 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 and some examples of that could be if I know that I'm not, it's, I'm, I'm going to be unable to get my normal sleep routine. I try to shift meetings away from the next morning so that I can, uh, you know, accommodate an extra hour or so of sleep, uh, trying to get those eight hours, uh, you know, what I eat, how I take care of my body, uh, incredibly important. And that could be from just, uh, you know, doing your best to eat as healthy as you can um, and sticking to a daily workout, meditation, routine. Uh, journaling has been incredibly helpful for me um, to keep myself grounded. Uh, I had reached a, a, a point recently, as many people do at various different times, where you're feeling burned out. And you can, I can look at my, I have a habit tracker and I can, I can see in my habit tracker of the things that I try to track, whether it's, you know, getting enough sleep or working out or, 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 or journaling. I can see that there's been a stretch of days where I don't have check marks. Well, that's, a, that's a good reason for why I'm feeling, I'm feeling burned out, but uh, you know, it just really starts Carl with taking care of myself. If I don't take care of myself, I'm going to be terrible at so many things, uh, whether that's uh, being on a call or, or going to a physical networking event or trying to solve a, a hard problem. Uh, I've also tried to be more aware of where my energy levels are. Uh, so when it comes to meetings where I don't feel like they're going to be particularly challenging for me, I have them in the afternoons. I keep the morning open for more harder, creative uh, tasks. But I've, I've really spent quite a bit of time over the past couple of years trying to understand how small changes to my diet and my, my body affect my energy level and, and, and my ability to be productive. Haven't quite got it all figured out yet, but it's been an interesting journey. Those are awesome. Uh, I appreciate you sharing all those different parts. And as we, as we tell up this, uh, round up this interview, um, what, what's kind of your favorite book, podcast, that you would recommend for our audience either it could be something you're currently going through or just something that you just have this tendency to recommend to people on a regular basis yeah it, yeah it's uh oh go ahead carl no go ahead go ahead yeah i so i i read a lot uh and i i, I start multiple books and I know really really quickly I, i'm not going to finish this one because i just don't like the author's style uh, so when i when when i think about this question i think about more along the lines of what kind of group themes of books I, I keep going back to and reading over and over again. And for me, the past couple of years, I've been really intrigued with books on stoicism, uh, largely because as one is involved in a lot professionally with multiple different accounts and groups and life is busy so busy and it's so easy for the voice in your head that we all have that that tries to plant doubt or 
just slow you down to to bother you. And uh, I found that Stoicism has offered uh, some nice little uh, tips and 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 tricks for helping with that. So a book I'd recommend is Stoicism and the Art of Happiness by Donald Robertson. I found that to be a good introduction book into Stoicism within the modern lens. So don't think about your, this is going to be something where you're just going to be reading, uh, you know, classic literature and, 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 and it's raw form. No, you get, so it's, it's interpreted through a modern lens and, and particularly helping people become more productive and to kind of silence some of those um, voices that we have that, that can slow us down at times. Great, great. Thank you. That's an excellent suggestion um, that you provided there. So, Dusty, um, where can people connect with you and, and uh, what, what would be the best way to connect with, with you or BitCadet? Yeah, I think the, the best way, if you want to learn more about me, uh, bitcadet.com. You can also add me to LinkedIn, just search for Dusty Dean. And uh, if you want to just reach out to me directly, dusty at bitcadet.com. That is uh, perfect. Thank you. So, Dusty, this has been a real treat to truly have you uh, on the show. And and, and with that, we, we want to make sure, and I just want to thank you. So thank you so much, Dusty. And to everyone else who's listening, thank you for listening to the Measure Success podcast. Wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.